We made this. Welcome to We Buy Records. I'm Paul Field and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Tim Scullion. I feel like that bit, we could just get a computer to program and spit that out because you say that exactly the same time every time you open the show. I know, but I like it. People like the the familiarity, the repetitiveness. Yes. Hi, Paul. Hello, Tim. (laughs) So we've got loads of housekeeping to get through. That feels like the show is all housekeeping this time. Yeah, well, let's start at the top. Um, Steve Gray, friend of the show, he is in charge of Vinyl Santa this year. Now, What's Vinyl Santa, Paul? I'm glad you asked, Tim. So probably five or six years ago, there was a, like a little community of people on Twitter who became friendly through vinyl records. We were out at boot fairs, crate digging, whatever it might be. And then back in 2016, I thought it would be a hoot if we all sent each other a secret Santa. Wait, when did you start it? Yeah, back in 2016. And so I organised that first year and there were about... I don't know, 25, something like that. It wasn't huge, but it was really good fun and everyone really enjoyed it. Christmas Eve, everyone opened their parcels. There was you know, stuff from charity shops. There was some absolute howlers. And they took a photo and tweeted it, yeah, right? Yeah, took a photo and tweeted it. 2017, I think there were about 80 people took part. Suddenly, we started trending on Twitter on Christmas Eve, which was, that was not, you know, we had no idea what was going on. 2018... There was over, I think it was 120, something like that, people took part. Um, It was a bugger to organise, thankfully. I only did the first one, and then we passed the baton for other people to organise it each year. So So you're you're not doing it this year? Nope. Steve Gray's doing it this year. Again, trended really high on Twitter. I think I showed you. I came into your shop, and I showed you. the. I'd said to um, Vinyl Car Booty, Rebecca, that I had the worst record ever made, and I was going to send it to her. You're so kind, aren't you, Paul? I said some other, some good stuff as well, but oh, this right, was okay. this was the the real that was the whole Nick Knowles CD war going on at that time. Oh, we... and you chose to send her. I think it was a lung cancer record. Yes, right? yep, it, which I bought in a hospice shop. Yeah, it's, mm. it was funny. I think. I think. So anyway, so moving on. So what are we saying? Are we saying? Are we asking? Are we inviting people to to join in if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. How do you, how do you join in, Paul? Go on. Sounds like a laugh. It is a laugh. And do you know what? At the moment, with what's going on in the world, we could all do with a laugh. Just search for hashtag Vinyl Santa on Twitter. You'll find Steve Gray's tweets this year. If you scroll back, you'll see some of the gifts that people have received in previous years some so of them good you, some of them bad because I, I did it last year it was brilliant so you throw your hat in the ring on t- you, you you say yes on twitter yes. yes i want to do it you're matched you, up with someone right you provide your address you get someone else's address mm-hmm. and i think you can say yay or nay to international postage if you you're can feeling yes blush, which i did and i received something from america and i think i sent to america you did? i did send to america as well and so you find something fun to send and you'll receive something fun in return from yeah. someone. Well, the, one of the reasons I, I, I started it is because 
if you like buying records, family and friends at Christmas, they, you never get records that you'd either want because they just don't get it. You need to be record people, Tim. And it's fun that if you find something weird that that would make a good gift, but you maybe don't know anybody who would appreciate a lung cancer record. Exactly. Suddenly. And, and in a way, that was the sort of germ of the idea to do this podcast because I thought, hang on, this is a whole community of people out there who are sort of collecting records and talking to each other on social media. Why don't we bring them together with it via a podcast? And here we are, Tim. Hey. So thank nice, you, everyone. And Steve, good luck with organising it this year, mate. All the best. More housekeeping still. We'd like to say a huge thank you to Radio Free Matlock uh, and to the Glossop Record Club for having us do a takeover episode uh, of their programme a few weeks ago now. Um, it's still available to listen to online if you Google Glossop Record Club and or Radio Free Matlock and you'll find the We Buy Records takeover episode. It was fun, wasn't it, Paul? It was, it was such a laugh. And the I live tweeted through the evening and I was shocked so many people were, were listening, engaging and buying the records we were playing as the show was airing. It was incredible. Uh, I know Daphne and Celeste picked up a lot of traction. I've seen several copies that, yeah, that have been bought. They're riding high at number one now on the Amazon. Uh, <laughs> they're not. But it's a fantastic album. And I think about four people bought it off the off the back of that show. Possibly well, Tim, more. Well, Tim, wasn't just the listeners buying stuff. I've got a little surprise. Oh. Because... I was buying stuff as well. Oh, you beauty. Oh, my God. So this Your is, face, Tim, yeah. is, you've just lit up like a Christmas tree. So this is the, this is the LP that of uh, demos and studio session tracks by Atle Lauwe. <laughs> from, how's my pronunciation? Very good, Tim. Very good, isn't it? Uh, and we played, this was one of the hits of the, oh. of the, of the show, actually, wasn't it? It's um, recordings from 1979 to 1984 by this young lad. Uh, I can't think what country we said he's from. Norway. From Norway recording stuff in a studio that, that I don't think was ever released and it's been tidied up and issued now uh, and it's all weird funky boogie pop it's brilliant I absolutely, when I said to you I, good, I, I love this and I'm going to buy it and oh, I'm so I did glad you did Paul that's brilliant how weird that now in in the southeast you know in east Sussex there's now a few people owning this Tom Berry bought a copy brilliant lovely Tom hello Tom hi Tom nice one it's good isn't it yeah got a little bit more housekeeping here tim uh, i got a, a lovely message on twitter um saying we're huge fans of the podcast and you've some way inspired a friend and myself to set up our own shop in loughton in essex we open this saturday and can you come and join us well i know you can't because you are off to somewhere somewhere uh, but I think I'm going to try and get along. Um, let me give them a plug. It's open. Well, actually, this will go out after it's opened. But they are based in Loughton in Essex, 22 Oakwood Hill Industrial Estate, IG103TZ. Free parking and it's in the Sound Lab Studios. Guys, honestly, even if we've even, you know, 1% of this has inspired you to do that and open a shop, we wish you all the very best and I look forward to seeing you guys. Fun enough, in the shop today that I run with my partner, a chap came in and we had a little chat and he was very nice. And he is opening, hopefully, with some friends, a new record shop in Seven Oaks. Unfortunately, that wasn't inspired by the podcast. Oh. But it goes to show things are happening. Yeah. So if you live in Seven Oaks, keep your eyes open for a new record shop. They haven't got premises yet, but I think they're about to. So oh, that's, that's going to happen. Yeah. Final piece of housekeeping, Paul. We received a wonderful email from a listener in Japan, uh, which I'd like to read out to you. 
It begins, Hi, old record men. Now, I'm not sure if she means old men who like records or men who like old records. Do you want to take a guess at which one she means? I think she means hello to old men who like records. Yeah, that's what I think it is as well. Thanks for that. Uh, She continues, I'm Tarina Mess from Osaka, Japan. I like your funny podcast. You're always laughing, which is very true, isn't it? Very true. Are you drinking sake all day? I think so. I wish I was. I did have half a bottle of beer before making this uh, podcast recording tonight. Just full disclosure. Uh, And then she shares with us her favourite strange packaging which uh, follows on from the uh, gimmicks segment we had last time. Which we we'll did invite listeners to send in their, their favourite gimmick sleeves. We did, and she's sent in a really unbelievably strange, amazing one. I can't even work out what it is, but it's got sort of cosmonauts and it folds out to be like a massive associated rediffusion logo star shape. It's amazing. It's on Twitter, I think. Did we tweet it? We, we did, and funny enough, somebody who uh, I think she still maybe works at Mute or used to work at Mute, tweeted me to say that was the inspiration for i think it was a 12 inch by add n to x that hexagonal fold out sleeve Uh, i think it cost a load of money so they lost it all (laughs) Uh, the the blue monday phenomenon yes uh she she continues please say the date at the start of each pod episode which we're not gonna hurry so no to that one and she also says please make fun with paul more it makes me laugh well that that's a given (laughs) So I think she's saying that I should tease you more, right? Yes. Brilliant. I'm really, really happy to do that. Uh, She concludes, now hurry along and make a new one. I have to practice my English. Lots of love, Tarina from Osaka, Japan. Thank you so much, Tarina, for that message. That really made our day. Yep, absolutely brilliant. I was chuffed to bits to receive that. Listeners in Japan, Tim, using this as a tool to help them learn English. Yeah, don't learn anything from us, for God's (laughs) sake. Do you think Tarina knows what a slice is? Well, I was going to say, if she wants to either sound like a massive ponce like me or a massive slice like you, (laughs) but maybe she does. Now, Crime Stoppers, were you in Brighton in the Terminus Road area between 4.15 and 5 on Friday the 13th of September? Did you see a large built man, bald, wearing a dark blue sweatshirt style sweatshirt, three quarter length dark trousers and carrying a red rucksack? If so, Sussex Police would like to speak to you. This man went into the record album and stole eight vinyl records worth £1,000. If you have information that leads to an arrest, you could win a Community Action Trust reward. So this is horrible, isn't it? I know, mate. I couldn't... Most of our listeners will have no idea that was my terrible impression of Shaw Taylor there from Police 5. Yeah, I had no idea, Paul, but it was good anyway. Well, nobody, nobody will probably remember, so they've got no way to... Look, old record man, I understand that you make these references, but us young people like me haven't got a clue yeah, what I'm down. about. Dave, our friend Dave Valentine will get the uh, Shaw Taylor Police 5 gag, but n- not mm, probably. He's, he's only about a year older than me, I think. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. But no, yeah, I, what a horrible, what a horrible I know, thing. That's George's old shop. So I guess this guy went in, found the eight most expensive records that he could spot, I presume, on the wall. I, yeah, I, I really don't know that they would have those out in the in the in the racks. I mean, I've bought some uh, records from George in the past, including the last sort of James Bond vinyl I needed. I think it was Never Say Never Again, which only came out in Japan because that's the non-canon, correct? Point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a lot. It was sixty-five, seventy pounds, and it didn't even get a vinyl release in the anywhere US. else. Wow. No, only in Japan. 
but uh, George has, has sold the business. I yeah, guess, yeah. Now some just, other just, poor sod has to deal with this thief. He's such a lovely guy because you go when uh, last time I was in there and I was buying that record. He then telling me about his holidays that he used to take, and he'd go to ski resorts where they'd filmed Bond and showed me all these pictures. It was so what is he a proper Bond? Oh head? yeah, huge Bond uh, fan. Yeah, he had so many rare soundtracks in that shop. It was amazing. So hopefully the police will find the scroat that did it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was actually. There was a segment on the BBC News locally where they showed the guy's picture, so somebody would have spotted it and know who it is. Further breaking news, Paul. The Economist. So it's proper. Uh, Blimey, report, that's yeah, highbrow for I us. I know. Well, it reports that in America, at least, vinyl sales are set to overtake CD sales, or at least, or revenue from vinyl sales are set to overtake that of CDs, which sounds unbelievable. It does doesn't it? So, here's some, some more facts. In 2005, $14 million worth of records were sold in America. But in the first half of this year, the RIAA says sales reached $224 million, which is up 13% year on year since 2005. In 2019 as a whole, vinyl sales should reach $500 million and should exceed CD sales for the first time since 1986 that's incredible do you think that pattern will be duplicated in the uk yes but i think it's also because the real story is that cd sales have absolutely laughably collapsed because vinyl still only accounts for four percent of the market so what does that say about cds I mean, there are charity shops yeah, the now in Bexhill. of the future. Could be. There's a charity shop in Bexhill that has a sign-up saying no more CDs. That, that's where we're at. Well, so the, the, the Economist continues that, as I think we've said before in the podcast, paid-for streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music um, are, the, are the big daddies now. They bring in 62% of the industry's revenue. And the other thing to note is that the music industry still makes less than half of what it made 20 years ago. So things are, you know, things are changing. It's we're still in that that state of transition where we don't really know what's happening with the music industry and what how it's going to look in another twenty years time. I think it's probably going to be unrecognisable again. Well, the barometer I used to see how healthy things are in terms of vinyl is the twelve inch single. Because so back in two thousand five, two thousand six, I was still always on the, oh, still am on the, like the Juno mailing list. And you you might see like five releases, really. Back then it was just it was just it just fell off a cliff. And now there's too many to count. Now there's hundreds week. a week. Yeah, yeah. You, it's just incredible. So do you think we're going to see pressing plants opening up again? Say especially post Brexit because that might happen. Um, maybe we're going to get a res- the resurgence of British pressing plants. You could we do we still not have a plant here do we as far as i'm aware i think they're nearly still in the czech republic yeah France. We, we have either none or one is it one proper... small one they're not doing like huge volume are they well someone told me that there's one master vinyl cutting expert still alive in the country this was about 10 years ago he told me and that when he dies there will be no one left in britain who you know who really gets how you cut a, a master for, for record manufacturing the guy could have just been talking bollocks, but it's, it seemed convincing the way that you said it. Well, I tend to buy a lot of old toot on 12-inch, so it's not going to really affect me. Oh, yeah. 
So, Tim, I asked our listeners on Twitter to fess up. I'm so sorry again to listeners who are not on Twitter. I know we're very Twitter-centric. I know, I'm sorry. my heart, but carry on. Um, to, you know, posters... You most... can email us, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Which as is, listeners do. As they do. We buy records pod at gmail.com is the address. Yes. So anything we ask for, always welcome to email a submission. So I asked listeners to drop us a line about their most awful record, their worst record, effectively, and use it as a confessional. See, and we would because there's we, no judgment here, is there, Paul? Well, there is. We're going to judge. Oh, no, that's what, right. We are going to exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to decide between us what we think is the worst record here. Obviously, we haven't listened to all of these, but um, most of them we can imagine. Adam Weitzman, Pithy Snarky on Twitter. Now he sent in an absolute belter. I think the band's called Pigeon, and the track is called Mouldy Dough, the official VVM anthem. It comes in a. This harks back to gimmicky packaging as well comes in a plastic Ziploc bag limited to 100 individually named copies. Are you ready for this? Mm. Comes with a free feather and pigeon poo, each in a small plastic Ziploc bag. Oh, that's disgusting. It is, isn't it? I played a snippet of this. Experimental noise is what I would say that is. Well, do you think that the sound source is Mouldy Old Doe by Lieutenant Pigeon, which was an early 70s novelty single, sort of slightly glammy novelty single? I wonder... But what actual, actual bird poo? Yeah, and a feather. Is that better or worse than the one I mentioned? I think, did I mention it on air? There was a, um, a CD by an experimental metal band that had a, a thumbprint of human shit. Oh, on the cover. lovely. The, the person I thought was going to win this competition, hands down, friend of the show, Beanie. He collects what he describes <laughs> as esoteric treasures that he's saving for the nation. Mm-hmm. Um He's got Jim Davidson watching over you, which is a CD released in 1999. Watching over you, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's not the only Jim Davidson record on uh, that's been submitted either. What have uh, you got, Tim? Well, I've got some crackers here. Uh, Simon Galloway uh, brings to our attention Jackie Edwards' "Christmas Jump Up." Now, Jackie Edwards is a is a um, respected Jamaican reggae artist. And Simon Galloway says, this Jamaican Christmas record by the reggae legend Jackie Edwards, um, he bought thinking it was an LP and it turned out because it's got about 15 songs listed on it and they're sort of Christmas classics. So he thought it was an LP. It's actually a 12 inch medley mega mix of uh, loads of stuff put out over a nonstop crap on Tempe beat. And he says it's awful, not even good awful, disappointing awful. Well... We return to Mr. Jim Davidson. Uh, Rockville Records have submitted The Devil Went Down to Brixton. That's... I don't even want to know what that's about because there's a nasty connotation there straight away. Uh, Monkey Tennis has submitted something by Rick Maniac and Dr. Loop called The Banana Boat Song. Yes, he's, uh, he says, I have a copy of this somewhere. I didn't buy it, but I did work on it when I worked at Kicking. It's atrocious and shit I like that it's I really really appreciate that it's both atrocious and shit Vince William has uh, sent me a picture of a seven inch which I think I've, I remember seeing as a kid by the the singing sheep oh god Oof. what and he actually owns it yep Shifty Disco uh, says in the time before you could listen to records before buying so he reckons around 93 I picked up a white label from Warp Records five ninety nine for what turned out to be a shit remix of Drop the Boy by Bross. That's that's brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Jimmy Nails here 
says, I bought this cover version of an Elvis classic after seeing Simon Groom perform it on Blue Peter. I bought it because it was shite. <laughs> yeah, I don't, well, he does, he, he wonders if ironic purchases count. And I, I don't, I don't know if they do. Um, maybe. It's still a belter. I looked at the artwork. It's, that's grim. It does look horrific. It's, it's him singing Can't Help Falling in Love. And uh, he notes that the B-side is an instrumental called Goldie, but disappointingly it's named after the Blue Peter Dog and not the Junglist. Mr. DV, friend of the show, Dave Valentine, uh, his, and he does actually own this as well. His, uh, he records his worst record is probably L. Ron Hubbard uh, with Battlefield Earth Ooh. from the early 80s. And he says this by far, it's completely unlistenable. Um, what's interesting about it actually is it features two jazz, jazz funk legends, Chick Corea and Stanley Clark on it. And I presume it's because they were Scientologists. Last time I was in Los Angeles, we stayed right opposite the main Scientology Did church. Did you go in? No, well, they held weddings and stuff there. There was a guy opposite like the rent-a-cop with a gun and every morning I came out he would stare at me as if he, you know making sure that we weren't there trying to infiltrate or report on the Scientologists and you could tell from the look of you that you were an agitator I suspect yeah and then we would go around the corner to this fantastic bar on Franklin Avenue called Birds where, where I'll be heading back to again soon so um drink in the afternoon and listen to the Scientology weddings because they were absolutely hilarious them. yeah because they were outdoors Oh, brilliant. They were literally, you could see through the fence what was going on. It was just, the, you know, people did the, watching. Did they have vows about like, you know, and we hope that the Thetans will keep away from... It, the whole thing was absolutely <sighs> hysterical. It was the best free entertainment I think I've ever had. My God. Uh, Dan Dyer says that his, his possible worst thing is a tribute to Lara Croft 12-inch. Uh, which he has a copy of. He says it's awful and uh, it, it has way too often repeated samples of Lara breathing after being underwater. Mm. So I think I know who that's who that's aimed at. He also has um, the barcodes featuring Alison Brown Supermarket Sweep 12-inch, which is a, a Eurodance track, which has got voice samples of the late Dale Winton on. Lovely. Uh, James here, Boney Moore. Now, I've seen these all the time in charity shops, and that is the Blaster Bates LPs. Have oh, you seen yeah. these? Meant so many times. Yeah. Um, he says it's people sitting in a room laughing their heads off at an ex-minor telling jokes that are either dated or never funny. So bad, even Beanie won't buy them. I don't think that's true. I reckon that Beanie's <laughs> got all of them. Uh, ben Collins says, and this is, you know, this is kind of proving that taste is subjective, right? He says, I own Who's Next by The Who, which is just way too beardy and easily the worst record I own. And I have a Limal 7-inch. But I did appropriately find it at the dump and only kept it because I'm sure it's worth more than free. And to doubly prove that taste is subjective, the first reply to that tweet was Harry Dennison asking, Ooh, what's the Limal record? <laughs> there you go. I think somebody did get not not annoyed, but someone jokingly said that they they love that Who record. It's a it's a good record. Wow. Uh, I'm disqualifying Black Celebration tonight for his entry because he put a pile of Debbie Gibson records and said I had to think for Debbie Gibson in the late '80s. I even made a friend go with me to see her live. Uh, disqualified because there's nothing wrong with Debbie Gibson. Um, genus unknown, friend of the show, uh, says. Well, this is both the worst and best thing I own. It's a bootleg seven inch of three Misfits tracks, the um, American sort of horror punk band and Sound of the Underground by Girls Aloud. 
and this this uh, seven inch is called Ghouls Aloud, uh, and, oh. and of course it's on baby pink wax. Of course it is. Simon Evans um, accidentally paid sixty pence for uh, Noif by Paul Rutherford. I picked it up because I love jazz. Unfortunately, it's abominable, unlistenable free jazz. I bet I'd like it. You probably would. I bet I'd like it. If anyone thinks they can beat any of these, please do let us know. Paul, have you got any more? Uh, Neil West sent in a picture of a lovely record called My Flute by Sri Chinmoy. Uh, very uh, interesting looking gentleman there who I suspect plays the flute. I think I'd like that as well. I think some of the people don't understand what worst records are. It's just a bloke playing his flute. What's wrong with that? We we will return to these because there are so many of them. But for tonight, Tim, what what do we think? What's the what are we calling as the worst record? Who's going to hold the bat on for now? Yeah, I think it's tough, but for me, it's probably the white label on Warp, just because it promised so much and turned out to be a Bross remix. So who's the winner? So the winner is oh, it's a winner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, the winner is Shifty Disco. Well done. Well done, Shifty Disco. You now hold the baton for the worst record until we pass it on to someone else. If you can keep that warm for us. So, Paul, here's a, here's a slightly woolly segment that, in my mind, is crystal clear, but right. may or may not actually work. You, all you need to do is articulate it to me, Tim. Oh. So, you know, we talk a lot on this programme about vinyl stupidity, which, by the way, again, fucking Twitter is a very good Twitter account that people should follow if they don't already, uh, highlighting ridiculous pricing of vinyl. Uh, for example, recently they, they retweeted someone who showed a charity shop had just put out a brace of new crappy LPs each one of them £20 a piece. I see it all the time, Tim. It's just so... But, you know, you just all you can do is laugh. So with that backdrop of thinking about vinyl stupidity, um, I won't I won't say uh, what his shop was or which part of the country it was from, but a gentleman was in the shop a few weeks ago who has himself a second-hand record shop somewhere in the country, nowhere near us, but I'm not going to say where. I don't want to embarrass him yet. Um, we were talking about what, what our hottest sellers were and he sort of said Dark Side of the Moon yes Fleetwood Mac Rumours yes and he said well the other day I sold a copy of Rumours by Fleetwood Mac for 25 quid and he was really proud and I said oh right so wow okay I mean that's you know we normally sell it for if it's in pretty good nick maybe 8 quid and if it's really nice 12 quid maybe 15 quid but 12 quid for, for a really nice copy of it and I said so was this one just absolutely immaculate then he said no i just thought i'd give it a try because it goes it goes it sells so quickly i'll try 25 quid and i sold it to a woman and she was happy and so yeah great in it and i thought no because record shops partially at least operate on trust and if we're setting the prices you can't just and so basically i don't it really really made me think and made me wonder whether i'm being soft as shite or i don't know but paul i I would value your opinion well it's worth what anyone's prepared to pay is it however that if that anyone happens to be someone who has no knowledge of records that could have sat there forever he's just had a real lucky win there because it's something an album that People would know they've bought it as a present. They think, oh, you know, that must be what it's worth. Because if you don't know anything about records, you might think that Fleetwood Mac rumours and original pressing is in fact valuable. Of course, I mean, I vinyl's back. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of this. My my point is my, my more bleeding heart, hippie, liberal 
point is that just because you can do that doesn't mean that you should. Well, no, because if I'd gone in that shop and I, I walk in... You'd have given a one-star review saying, what the fuck are you doing? Selling Fleetwood Mac rooms of 25 quid. And more importantly, I probably wouldn't have looked through anything else because that would instantly raise a red flag. Well, I so I feel that if, if let's say, this woman is getting into records and then over the coming weeks and months she goes elsewhere and sees what their prices are, she's going to feel ripped off by this shop and she won't go back to that shop. There's no upside to what he's That's doing. That's what really. I'm thinking. It's a real short-termism. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And so the other reason why I wanted to talk about this is in the bad old days before the internet. So I've just bought a really massive collection of really, really good records, a lot of 60s soul, which actually it's thanks to you, Paul, that I got them. So thank you. Um, But quite a lot of them have still got their previous price stickers on. And they were, I think a lot of them were bought sort of mid to late 90s up to the early noughties. And just in basically every single case where they've clearly been bought from something which considered itself to be a proper record shop selling rarities and not just someone slinging out status quo records for a pound a pop in the late 90s which a lot of record shops were like that but you know the proper record shops in london and everything all of the records are chronically overpriced all of them so we're talking 25 30 quid then for something which now we would sell for 12 quid so if you if you add inflation into the mix, that's sort of more than triple what we'd now sell them for. And it makes me think, well, this guy now selling rumours for what he can chance his arm for is exactly the same as what every proper fancy record shop did until the internet came along and stopped it. I don't know if you, because you're a little bit older than me, Paul, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember late 90s, early noughties going into shops like, say, Beano's in Croydon or that kind of thing. They, do you know what? They probably were a little bit overpriced because I was still picking up like Depeche promos and they, and they weren't cheap back then. And I was working in the city then. So, you know, it wasn't that money was no object, but it, it they would have to have been pretty pricey for me to go, ooh. Yeah, it's a tricky one. The nice Have you just, looked any of them up to see if any of your Depeche roaches have actually gone no, down? No, because, because I take all the price paid. stickers off. Yeah. Because I can't, I'm, I can't buy stickers. And plus, if you leave them on, they're going to harden. And they then, are, but I don't know. I think this is, we mentioned this before, but if anyone missed it, great tip is peel the price sticker off, stick it on the inside of the brown cardboard yeah. inside of the sleeve, and then you've got a, a hidden record. Yep. That's free. That little tip, completely free. Yeah, so I, you know, this is one of those segments where I'm not really sure where I'm going with it, but it just, it, I found it genuinely shocking seeing sort of nice late 60s soul records that are you know they're good but they're not that good 30 quid 40 quid 25 quid and now they're worth less than half that so if you really got into records and collecting in the late 90s early noughties you you have lost money on your record collection yeah because it was pre kind of discogs and stuff so the table they just make it and, and so as other shops or record fairs and i imagine they were struggling to shift anything new and yeah. they were just yeah it was, the whole thing was a massive fiddle so so thank God for the internet. Thank God for Discogs and eBay finished auctions and pop psych and stuff. Yeah. Because bloody hell. Knowledge is king, Tim. Well, maybe it slightly is no wonder why records went into decline. Maybe in the, maybe, no, no. It may have contributed to it if, if you, you know, if people were trying to, you know, rip the arse out of it. Seriously, these, these prices. I, I wondered if anyone listening wants to email or tweet us. Um, who has found price stickers of records that they bought, second hand that they bought in the late 90s, early noughties, 
and it might be interesting if anyone wants to compare how much they spent on an old soundtrack then versus what it seems to go for now on Discogs. But so so going back to this, the guy who was crowing slightly about flogging rumours for 25 quid. Yeah. It might just be that you're not as animated as I am in, in showing your emotions, but you you don't seem as outraged and phased by that as I thought you might be. Because I've just become numb to it, Tim. I Unlike you don't go to as many record shops as I do, I don't think. I visit them all over the country, all over the world, and I, and I see these blooming herberts trying to rip people off all the time and it has been going on since you know before the internet there's one mail order company i'm not going to name them but they're they're huge they're quite famous they their prices in the 80s and 90s were an absolute ripoff they're still going now and guess what their prices are an absolute ripoff really yeah it's a joke isn't it a weird business model that you're like we rely on people that have got the wherewithal to sign up to our list but not to go on to eBay and Discogs and see what things are worth. They used to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of items that I wanted to buy and I never gave them a penny. Were any of them 90s 12 inches? No, Tim. Well, you know the, the long-running joke about 90s 12 inches, they cost, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine quid, a lot of the imports. Some of those imports that I was paying £9 for are now worth 50p. 30p yeah with a with a fair wind behind them and i'm not talking one or two i'm talking hundreds yeah, if mo- not thousands most of them yeah yeah most of them yeah it's bonkers if you look at the the, the stickers on on from dance shops again when, when we buy yeah. them in and it will say eight quid seven quid 9.99 yeah and yeah they are now they go straight in the whatever it is three for you know four for three quid bin or three for a pound bin whatever you do kind of think people that dance heads in the 90s the amount they must have spent oh I used to get a weekly delivery from Juno. He used to play me clips down the phone because they didn't have MP3 samples. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, true. True story. Before samples, I'd ring him up. And he'd go, oh, hi, Paul. Okay, well, this is what we've got this week. So how much do you think you were spending on that? About per week? Yeah. About 100 quid a week. Why do you think I've got like 6,000 12-inch singles at home, Tim? They didn't appear out of nowhere. So we just sold a job lot of about 400 12-inch dance singles for £100. So that's 25 pence each. And a lot of those are exactly the kind of ones that you would have been buying for yep. seven or eight quid. Yep. Yikes. Let's do a little catch up, shall we, about gimmick sleeves. Yes, it's Tim. It's the subject that set the internet alight. Possibly. But possibly. It has little bit so you may remember last episode we talked briefly about gimmick sleeves and uh, whether or not you like them and you know i shared some some memories of gimmick sleeves i've known uh, we've had quite a few people on twitter sharing with us their favorite or, or non-favorite gimmick sleeves we'll go through a few of them now steve gray has flagged up isaac hayes black moses which folds out to a giant one two three four five six panel crucifix shape with a massive Isaac Hayes in a very sort of messianic well I suppose Moses like uh, pose it's pretty it's pretty cool he looks like a really hip messiah well there's uh, one from Fever Ray in the States which came with a blood filled gel cover Um, now I did hear that there were some problems with these and they may I'm not sure if they were withdrawn or not because one of Alice was saying they tried to buy it but I did see recently that Mute Records were at the US uh, indie album market and they did have some copies for sale on their stall Ooh. and have you seen any images of it? 
no, I don't think I'm not sure I have. I'd quite like that. Yeah, I've got. I bought mm. that album recently from that bankrupt but, stockman, but not with any blood on it. No blood on it. Oh, shame. Death Prog One draws our attention to the album Head of Death by Natur. N a t u r. It's like nature, but they've dropped mm-hmm. an e, uh, which is a pop-up gatefold image of four blokes skulking in a graveyard. Oh, I saw that. Excellent. It's a it's a metal album, Paul. I don't know if you can guess that from the context, but that's pretty cool. Phil Walsh says Dave Clark, not that one, but the uh, techno DJ. In fact, see, if I say Dave Clark to you, you will think of the dance music Dave Clark. Yes. Everyone else in the world will think of the Dave Clark Five. That's quite funny. Anyway, uh, do you notice my eyes lit up when you said I know, Dave, Dave Clark. Clark? And it turns out it is that Dave Clark. Um, his LP Archive One had to be ripped open with a tearaway strip, yep, uh, like the perforated packaging that you'd find on a FedEx envelope. And in fact, Dan Dyer, another friend of the show, points out that pretty much all K-pop releases these days are gimmick sleeves. There'll be box sets, books massive fold-out elaborate hard thick things and he's specific well yes paul's just done the universal um, sign for money money. how can we you know get people to part with 200 quid Ah, add cardboard yeah add cardboard and in the case of k-pop we'll do six different variants of the album each one with a different face of a different member of the group and people buy them all genius it's genius. It's a genius business model if you can get people to part with the cash. Well, like I was actually talking to him about this. He said there are even ones where you'll get five or six variants for each member, but they'll be sealed. They'll be blind packs. And so you'll only know which CD you've got once you've bought it and opened it. So to try and get them. I, yeah, it's not. There must be a lot cool, of trading that goes on in that community, though. I believe there is. Well, they their value drops like anything once they've been opened and, and you found out who it is. So. Yeah, there's a massive secondary market of flogging them either without the special limited card or whatever. It's, it's madness. He also, funnily enough, points out that um, he recently got a CD box set where, again, you had to pull the perforated tear thing to get to the CD. Now, Tim, do you recognise that? I'm going to show you a picture here. Soundtrack. Oh, oh, it's got the Alien in it. Yep, it's the Alien soundtrack. It's a Mondo variant. Those... Both the albums Ooh, have got oh, liquid blood. blood inside the record. Not in the cover, inside the record. Now, I was there when they were released, pressing F5, refreshing it, to get one in my basket yes. and failed. Oh, so what do they go for now? So would you like to have a guess what the last copy sold for on Discogs? To help you, there are currently none for sale and it last sold March 2018. £90. Pounds. £800. So the current value of that is well into four figures now. Well into four figures. Mate, I'm not going to lie. When I didn't get one, I was absolutely gutted. Have you ever seen one in the flesh? Nope, never. Never seen one. That's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that is peak gimmick sleeve. It doesn't oh, get any better than that. Yeah, right, and, f- and for modern pressing. Yeah, that's it's a, a new very, record. Yeah. Wow. Whoosh. What did you say? 90 quid? Yeah, I guess it might have been 90, <laughs> 90 quid. <laughs> You're I'm, so humble. It's so funny. I've got a I've got a few more here actually. Okay, go on. Vince Williams says just caught up with the latest hot stamper of a show. Nice. With regards to gimmicky sleeves, my favourite is the psychedelic furs single for dumb waiters whose sleeve is playable. Do you have this, Paul? No. But what an amazing idea! So its sleeve is playable. Okay. And features on it a recording of an advert for the album. Ah. 
That's so amazing. it's basically a flexi disc on on, on yeah. cardboard. I mean, my God, that's a good imagine idea, how many isn't plays it? you get out of it. One, two, maybe. Three. That's all you need. Yep. That that advertising message to go in. That's all you need. And a uh, friend of the show, Ian Greaves, says, I don't remember I was describing a sandpaper-covered LP sleeve last time, Paul. Uh, he's tweeted to say, I haven't shouted Jurity Column so much since I tried to get Alexa to play them on Spotify. <laughs> so, Tim, I, I had an idea for a future show where we are going to dedicate a whole show to the single the humble the single the humble single the 7 inch that's a great idea the 10 inch even the 12, the 12 inch, inch the maxi the cd the cassette uh, we're going to go really well we i'm sure we can you know cassette singles well paul i will come to that in that yeah, special right. because can we do a little tiny sneak preview of the world of the single you i think bought a cassette single a few months ago yep 10 pence up for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but it was R&B, hip-hop. It was a really a popular like a tune. A 90s yeah, thing. Yeah, sold it to a fella in China. It was 20 or 30 quid. Just people are, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's worth what someone's prepared to pay. It's to get that, that audiophile sound quality of the cassette. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, head about Tim. Look out for that. Yes, look out for that. Our single special, uh, which is not, not single people. We're not trying to, yeah, it's not a dating service. I've been looking through the best-selling singles of all time, Tim, and I'm going to pair them up, and you've got to tell me which one sold the most. Nice okay. and easy. You yep. ready? So, Culture is Club. Is it a quiz, Paul? It is a quiz, Tim. <gasps> Sorry. It's yes, quiz. it's the quiz. This week's quiz. Hey. Culture Club. Do you really want to hurt me? Right. Last Ketchup. The Ketchup oh, song. Now, which sold the most? Physical copies, this is, this is this isn't to do with downloads, this is physical copies of a single. It it has to be Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? No, it was Last Ketchup with the Ketchup song. Uh that sold seven million copies, where Culture Club sold six and a half million copies. Wow. So the monkeys, yep. Daydream Believer. Yes. Or the Spice Girls wannabe. Which sold the most copies? Physical copies, Tim. That's a real tricky one, isn't it? You look really perplexed now. Spice Girls wannabe. It was the Spice yes. Girls wannabe. So that's Thank a point. Tim. And that makes that objectively the better song. Yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah. not talking about. No, I'm just checking. Yeah, just, just yeah. So, the Beatles, Hey Jude, or Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart. Well, the the better song there is Unbreak My Heart. Right. So just for that reason, I'm going to go Unbreak My Heart. Is the correct yes. answer? Tony Braxton sold ten million singles, and the Beatles sold eight million. Take singles. that, the Beatles! And where are they now? And Tony Braxton is where she belongs at the top. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit. Yes. Versus Kylie can't get you out of my head. Who sold the most physical copies? Ooh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Do listeners, please, please play along and let us know your scores. By the way, Uh that. Kylie because Nirvana are niche and Kylie is pop. Yeah, the answer is Nirvana, I'm afraid. You got that one wrong. So you Smells Like Teen Spirit, outsold, can't get you out of my head. Yep. Eight million copies for Smells Like Teen Spirit and five million copies for Kylie. And both of those records now are sought after and have a value. I bought two promos of uh, Kylie recently um, in, in an Eastbourne shop for really good price as well on 12 inch what cheaper than what they should have been oh yeah, yeah. always is in there Tim always is the village people 
Yes. YMCA? Yep, classic. Band-Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? Band-Aid. It's the village people. They sold 12 million copies, whereas Band-Aid sold 11.7 million copies. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. So you've got two out of five so far. You should get these. You ready? Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Yeah. Versus Elvis, It's Now or Never. You, I, I do invite well, you to sing your and do your best Elvis impression at this point, Tim. Thanks for the invitation, Paul. Now... We get a lot of copies of... It's now yeah. one. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> we get a lot of copies of that single in. Yes. So I'm going to go Elvis. It was Elvis. He sold 20 million copies, whereas Celine Dion sold 18 million copies. I mean, that's high, isn't it? That Both of those are fucking Astonishing, high. Yeah. yeah. They go 20 up. 20 million copies. Yes. So... Bill Haley, Rock Around the Clock. Yes, that was a monster. Mungo Jerry in the the summertime. summertime. Mmm. You're getting into the big heavyweights. Well, Rock Around the Clock was a a bit era and genre defining. And it must have sold a lot of copies just because it was such a big, this is the new thing. This is rock and roll. This is, this is, this is the future. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Bill Haley. It was Mungo Jerry in the summertime, which sold 30 million copies. Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock sold 25 million copies. Wow. Last one. I haven't done them in any order, so don't don't think they're not going to go up from here, the numbers. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You mm-hmm. up against Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. Oh, <laughs> so God, that's a, a killer, oh. aren't they? I, uh, I couldn't have been any more nasty with these questions, could I? Really, they're all they're all close, aren't they? Mm. I I think it's I will always love you. That was inescapable. Is the right answer? Yes. Whitney Houston sold twenty million copies, as Gloria Gaynor sold fourteen million copies. So, what's my final score? You got four right and four wrong. Oh. Halfway. So, okay. listeners, if you beat Tim, please do let us know. You probably a, did beat me. Oh, it's tricky. That was. You, I can't believe it. you was fell it into YMCA? the traps that I set but so, at pretty much every turn. Yeah. So YMCA beat um, Band Aid. Yeah. Only just, but it beat it. You look really cheesed off about well, that. I, I thought I knew. I thought I knew my onions, Paul. I thought mm, I knew my stuff. Well, you know. That's it for this week's We Buy Records podcast. Now, Tim, before we go, next episode, will there be a city report? Yes. Ooh. And it'll be from me and it'll be somewhere exotic. Oh, lovely. Join us again next time for more Adventures in Vinyl on We Buy Records. Mm-hmm.